Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Offstage Me podcast. This is the ninth episode of season one and the final episode of season one. And boy, am I glad we've got here. I've enjoyed it, don't get me wrong. I've enjoyed it, but it has been a lot of work uh, given a busy schedule of singing and performances and uh, reviews and all of that kind of stuff. A little bit more about that in a bit, but let's get on with this episode. So let's start with a what's new. One of my favorite things that I've been using recently is the Enso Bolt. This is their Bolt Action Retractable Fountain Pen made by Enso. It's made of grade 5 titanium, and it has a bolt-action mechanism, so it's yeah retractable. A nice, simple nib cartridge converter, but a really lovely pen. It writes well, it writes consistently. Uh, I'll be doing a full review of this pen in a few months' time, around the time the pen is launched, because it's part of a Kickstarter campaign that is currently running. Uh, and if you actually jump on YouTube, you can look at my first impressions video of the bolt, uh, which I made, and... Uh, that links to their Kickstarter campaign as well. It's one to get behind if you're interested in cool, fun fountain pens. Another video I made uh, it was about the Creator's Friend Fast Brain system, which I spent a month using and detailed my experience with it over the month. Uh, I spoke about how the layouts work and how the even like the collector's journal and things like that kind of played out. That was really interesting because as someone who is neurodivergent, I have often struggled with uh, a lot of planning systems because I haven't met my needs and I felt like they don't quite add up for me. Uh, And so I bullet journaled for years. So it's nice to have a system that caters to that kind of need to be kept on track uh, and also allows the space for including some of the bullet journal features that I really, really love. Once again, you can jump over to YouTube and check out that video. It's an interesting one, and it's a really interesting system, and it's an Australian-made system, so I'm really behind it. Things that are absolutely new in my hand this week, I've just been uh, reviewing and looking at some bags from our Packer gear, uh, and I've moved on. So I've reviewed the Ghostling uh, in the last week or so, uh, and now I'm looking at the Tech Brief Pro bag, which is, it's like a cross between a backpack and a satchel, um, a laptop bag, a carry tech case thing, and just beautifully organized. I really, really like what Alpaca do. I just reviewed, as I said, the Ghostling, and I've reviewed the Mini before, but this is the full-size one, and it's just such a great bag. It's got great capacity, it's well-made, it's got some really beautiful features, uh, and made with really, really strong weatherproof materials which I really appreciate and it's a really good size for those days where you don't want to carry like a a bag Uh, but for me like I always want to carry my iPad because that's got all my music and everything on it as well so I can do that without having to worry with uh, this uh, ghostling from Alpaca. The newest pen I have in my hand is the Jinhao 82 Mini. It's came in the last couple of days. Uh, I really like what Jinhao are doing. And I quite like the Jinhao 82. Yes, the 82 and the 82 Mini are ripoffs of Sailor Pens, but you are paying around $5 for them, as opposed to $300. Uh, And yes, it's a steel nib, not a gold nib, and lots of things going on like that. But it's a really affordable pen that really performs, and that's what I love about it. It writes out of the box. It's smooth. It's consistent. All these kinds of things. And there are some fun color options available as well. I will be reviewing, with all of, as with all of these, I will be reviewing it in a little while. 
but it's an interesting pen and uh, an interesting pocket pen because it always feels small, but never unusable. So the Jinhao 82 Mini, smaller than the 82, obviously, but packs a lot of punch. A lot of you know that I'm an artist as well, just more or, more or less for fun, occasionally do paid work, but uh, I've been really getting into watercolor and using watercolors in my artwork, and I've always used watercolor paper without using watercolor uh, paint, uh, but now I as I'm using watercolor paints more, I'm exploring some different options for watercolor paper. And so if you have watercolor paper you really, really love, drop me a message with it because I'm keen to try everything to find the ones that work for me. At the moment, I'm using uh, Fabriano Studio watercolor paper. It's the 300 GSM hot press. Uh, it's a 25% cotton one, and I love it. It's so smooth and beautiful. I really like that feeling of it. I've always really enjoyed Fabriano paper. One of my favorite notebooks uh, is the A4 Fabriano notebook, hardcover notebook. I've had this literally for years and it's one of those notebooks I write in really sparingly as a journal for specific things and I love it. It is beautiful and the paper's lovely. And so the Fabriano watercolor paper is amazing. So yes, as I said, if you've got watercolor paper you love, please drop them, uh, drop me a message with it because I'm keen to try a bunch. But that's what I'm using at the moment. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I find that the watercolor sits nicely on the surface and dries beautifully and gives lovely effect uh, of sort of like an even color, but with some nice sort of shading and pooling around edges and things like that. It's just beautiful. It's really lovely paper. So that's what I'm using for my art stuff at the moment, outside of doing sort of my larger charcoal and uh, ink works as well. Okay, so that's a rough sort of look at what's new. Um, I just want to do a very quick wrap-up of the season uh, before we get into the Q&A and then this week's topic. Um, so this podcast was designed to be a companion to my YouTube channel and Instagram. I found that YouTube was not giving me the space to just discuss ideas because I was doing so many reviews. So I thought, well, maybe I'll come over here onto onto a podcast and and start to discuss a few more ideas and things. And it has given me that platform and I've enjoyed it, but it is hard work. It's hard to schedule it. It's hard to put the time aside. It takes a lot of editing uh, and then a lot of organization. I've done amazing interviews with uh, Helen McLean and Michael Liu and uh, ben Walsh from Gravitas Pens, and more recently, uh, Chetan from um, My Paperclip Australia. And they take organisation, they take scheduling, they take, you know, sorting out the tech side of things as well. Uh, when I've gone, you know, and done interviews with these people in person, I've had to take recording gear, and then, you know, I have to edit all of that, of course, as well. And then I've done ones where, uh, you know, it's been recorded online, and that has its own challenges. So there are always these things, and I've really enjoyed the process of it. Um, season two is scheduled, was scheduled to be April. It might be a little bit later than that, given my uh, workload and some stuff happening in my personal life around then. Um, but I'm still considering doing season two. But beyond that, I think I'm going to continue to look at what the best options are for me for this sort of platform. I... I'm considering starting a Patreon page with the end goal of removing ads from my YouTube. I don't get a whole lot of ad revenue as it is, but it does help support the channel. 
um, and the support from individual people and companies and manufacturers and retailers has been amazing and that keeps the channel going as well. Like literally, I couldn't, I couldn't afford to buy everything I review. Uh, so the support of helping provide those items is great and the ad revenue support is great. So if I started a Patreon, it would all be in service of the YouTube channel. And my thought would be to involve the podcast as a video podcast, I don't know what that's called, um, with the, for the Patreon subscribers. Uh, it would be a relatively low buy-in at the at the open point, uh, which would give you the podcast uh, per you know a couple of episodes per month or whatever, as well as sort of early access to uh, some videos, uh, and then a, probably looking at like a second tier uh, that would give you access to other things uh, and conversation and all that kind of stuff. I need to explore that. I need to work that out how much time I have to actually dedicate to this outside of the YouTube channel, but also my actual day job. And I don't mean the job working in a stationery shop. I love that job, but I mean my opera job. Uh, I am very busy. I work a lot. I work for a lot of different companies. I do a lot of shows. Um, like at the moment, I'm in or rehearsing three shows and preparing two more, which means that I have to actually dedicate a lot of time to that. It takes so much time to learn a role. Um, for instance, this week, this past week, as I'm recording this, we opened our uh, at Leicester Opera, which is a company that I'm on the board of, as well as one of the performers in, opened our season of Marta, which is a German opera that has not had a lot of attention, um, in particularly here in Australia, over the last century. And we're presenting it... Uh, around regional Victoria, and we had our uh, basically four first performances last week. Um, and that takes a huge amount of energy. It's an almost three-hour-long opera in German, um, you know, where I'm one of the four lead roles, and it's a big workload. And then you add actual work and family and YouTube and everything. So the podcast has to go along with that. It has to be supportive of that, not get in the way of it. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I have loved talking to the people I have, as well as the conversations it has opened up with people in the pen community. It's been really great. So yeah, I might end up incorporating that more into my Patreon, as I said, to eventually swap that out for, to remove ads from my YouTube. I don't like the ad revenue system. Um, it's a necessary evil in a way, uh, but if Patreon or something could remove the need for that in terms of the monthly uh, support, financial support for the channel, that might be an option I'll enjoy more and I'll include a lot more of this kind of content in that. But in saying all of that, thank you so much for your support of this podcast, of my channel, everything. I've learned a lot doing these first nine episodes and those are things I will take into the next season. Uh, and the next season has some pretty spicy stuff. Like the topics I want to cover are not as generic as this season. There will still be interviews and things, but the topics I want to talk about, I actually want to delve into things and see why the industry is the way it is and why certain companies are the way they are. And this week's episode kind of begins that process. Uh, this week's episode, which I didn't mention at the top of the episode, uh, is about pen brands or stationary brands I don't want to support and a little bit about why. 
But before we get into that, I just want to do my quick Q&A. So I have two questions today. Both came uh, out of videos I put out recently. Uh, so the first one was the first impressions of the Enso Bolt. And uh, the question was, I don't like bolt action ballpoint pens because the balance is off. It is too back weighted with the bolt mechanism. Is this the case with the Enso Bolt? Okay. No, it's not. What I was really surprised with with the Bolt was how light the pen is in general, but also how balanced it is. It's not a huge pen. It's not particularly girthy or long. It's just a nice size, but you would expect more weight in the Bolt end of the pen. But somehow, the balance of this feels pretty good. It's because the material itself isn't super heavy, and because the material they've used for the bolt action isn't super heavy, it remains pretty balanced. It's not weighted down towards the nib like I prefer, but the weight is generally pretty evenly distributed. Um, yes, you can feel the bolt weight in the end, but I wouldn't say it's off balance, and it's certainly not as off balance as a lot of bolt action ballpoint pens I've tried. Some of them, are just really heavy in that bolt end because they're made of like anodized aluminium or something like that, which is a relatively light material. And then they have this like heavy duty bolt at the end and that does back weight the pen. Just ever so slightly. Some do it better than others. Um, but something like the Mark's Innovative Gear ballpoint bolt action pen, that's made of copper. So that's generally kind of heavy. So the weight still fits nicely in your fingers. The Enso bolt, because it is titanium, is lighter and it's a thin titanium but because it is a strong material you don't notice how thin it is it feels great so i would say the balance is good if not perfect it is much much better than bolt action ballpoint pens so if that is what's holding you back from backing this project that is something that you can take into a little bit of sort of consideration there okay the second question today was about the waterman karen in terms of writing experience, which do you prefer, the Waterman Karen or the Diplomat Excellence A2? Okay, this is a really hard question because I love both of these pens. They are both lacquered brass pens. So that's a tick in both of their columns. They're both beautifully made, well-constructed pens with attention to detail. Neither of them are cheap pens. And in terms of price point for what you get, the Diplomat is probably higher in its price point, if you will, than the Karen. Because the Diplomat has a number six Yovo steel nib. Whereas the Karen has its 18 gold beautiful, you know, inlaid nib, which is stunning. I love both of these pens. I think they both write absolutely beautifully. I would say, to my feel, the excellence is slightly smoother. There's a little bit of tooth or feedback on the Karen, which I actually enjoy. But if you're going for smoothness, the excellence actually probably is smoother. And that is a steel nib over the gold nib. I'm not fussy when it comes to steel or gold. I'm fussy about how the nib feels on the page and how the pen feels in my hand. And actually, both of these, in a weird way, have a similar kind of feel. They have a similar-ish shape and size section and everything in the hand. And they've got a similar balance. So it's going to come down to a couple of basic points as to which one. Firstly, price point. You are going to pay more for the Karen than you will pay for the Diplomat Excellence A2. 
Not a whole lot, but you will pay more. For that, you are getting a more unique nib. You are getting a gold nib. And you are getting a pen from a brand that is kind of like really well known. And it's one of those brands that people know. You know, you go, oh, Montblanc, Parker, Waterman, Schaefer. That's kind of like what people know. Diplomat have been making incredible pens for a long time. They've made some really striking pens that stand out, like the the Aero. I remember when I got that Sunset Orange Aero, I just couldn't stop staring at it. It's just a beautiful pen. The Excellence A2 is a much more classic pen. It's unassuming. I have it in black with the silver trim or chrome trim, same as my Karan. Um, so yeah, it's going to come down to price point. Whether you're fussy about uh, the steel versus gold nib, you can get the Excellence A2 with a gold nib. It will cost you more. I've not tried them. But if I'm going with what I have, it's really hard for me to choose, but I would still probably go for the Excellence. I think the Diplomat pen is absolutely stunning and the balance is great and the capping mechanism is beautiful. Uh, both have really satisfying capping systems, and but the Diplomat feels really lovely to cap. So that's where I would go. It's kind of a hard question to answer, but uh, I think that's where my heart lies. Okay, let's get on to this week's topic. I want to talk about brands I won't buy and brands I don't like to review, although I've reviewed all of them a number of times for different reasons. As I was writing this list, I put a call out on social media for people to give me the brands that they don't love or support or those kinds of things. And I got a lot of responses and the the brands were absolutely across the gamut. I had people saying that they don't like Mont Blanc, people not liking Visconti, people thinking Pelican is overrated and particularly now with the change, like, and I totally get that. They're sitting on a precipice at the moment. Which way are they going to go? Are they going to really fix themselves or are they going to wreck themselves? And I have a horrible feeling they're going to wreck themselves because they're already producing things at a lower quality with lower attention to detail than they were. So people are really upset about that, and rightfully so. I had a lot of people mention Twisby. A lot of people mentioned Twisby. And the main reason people mentioned Twisby was because of the cracking. Now, I must be one of the very, very few people in this world who has never had a Twisby crack. And I have, at the moment, actually, no, I've had dozens of Twisby pens. At the moment, I have decided to keep only a small amount because I'm downsizing my entire collection, and Twisby will still be one of the most represented brands in my collection. And yes, there are Twisbys I like more than others. I don't like the swipe. I am on the fence about the classic and the precision, although the precision has a lot going for it. But I love the VAC 700R. I love the Diamond 580. I love the Diamond 580 ALR, particularly that tealy blue one they did. Oh, amazing. So lots about the brand I love, but I've never had one crack. No Ecos, nothing. They've I've never had a crack. So I understand people have. Maybe I'm just gentle with my pens, although I take them out. I have Twisby Ecos and 580s in my pen case that I take to work regularly. So, you know, maybe I'm just lucky or maybe there's some user error from other people or just being a little bit rough or whatever. But generally speaking, people are good with their pens and if Twisby are cracking, then they are cracking. I'm not going to deny that. I just haven't had that experience and I like the brand. 
but I completely see why a lot of people have had issues with the brand. I had funny responses about things like Kiki K. Now, I don't know whether Kiki K is outside of Australia, but it's a stationary uh, kind of shop in Australia that does like gift style stationery and planners and all that kind of thing. And actually, I must say their collection in the last little while has gotten a lot better, but a lot of their stuff kind of is not um, particularly high quality if you're particularly passionate about premium stationery. Um, it's designer stationery, but you know, for a market that's not looking for exceptional performance, but looking for practicality or design. Uh, so people were really up, you know, a couple of people mentioned that. Uh, Kaveco, inconsistency with the nibs, you know, that kind of stuff was brought up. Moleskin, Moleskin, absolutely, I totally agree with. Moleskin used to make really, really nice notebooks. And the paper was pretty decent. But even now, for like ballpoint pens and things, it's just not good quality paper. Um, I really love their diary layouts, and I suggest them all the time to people because the layouts of their diaries are the best on the market. I will absolutely say that. The layouts of the Moleskin diaries are the best on the market. But I can't use them. You can't write in them with fountain pens. You can't write in them with rollable. Ballpoint shows through. Pencil kind of, if you have a, a firm lead and it's sharp, you can actually like start to tear the paper. I don't know what they're doing. I just don't know. Um, there's some moleskin books that I really love the look of, particularly some of their like designer uh, higher-end notebooks. Um, but they're also super overpriced. You know, I mentioned this in my uh, interview with My Paperclip Australia last fortnight. My Paperclip notebooks are like a third the price of Moleskin, and the paper is infinitely better. Infinitely so. And yes, Moleskin have a range of products and a range of features that My Paperclip don't yet have in their notebooks. But in terms of paper performance, you're not getting bang for your buck with Moleskin. You're just not. That's just the way it is. And then from a personal perspective, there are a few brands I avoid. I don't love the nibs made for a range of pens. And I'm going to, like, I have no evidence to back this up. But to me, the nibs on the Pen BBS, Narwhal, uh, Moonman, Marjon pens, all that kind of pen brands, they all feel the same to me. And they have this sort of, like, dragginess to them. And it's not just that, it's not they're scratchy. It's just they're, they're draggy. And yes, you can do polishing and all of that kind of stuff. But if I'm spending a good amount of money on a pen, and that's relative, a relative point, um, I expect the nib to... At, I, I don't want to have to work on every nib I get. I don't want to have to go, oh, if I'm going to buy a pen BBS pen, I'm going to have to work on this nib. When I can get a Jinhao, like the X159, which I adore... And I've never had a problem with the nibs. They've all been smooth and, you know, consistent. And they're a $15 pen. Some of these brands, they're just not doing things in a way that I personally appreciate. In terms of inks, it's things like Organic Studio inks. Remember that nitrogen blue that was just so heavily saturated that it stained everything I put it near. Um, so things like that. Brands that I personally won't go near because they don't fit my needs. But... There are a couple of brands that I'm going to mention specifically today because I think that they are brands who are just going about things the absolute wrong way. One of them won't be a surprise to anyone, and one of them will be maybe a surprise to some people. 
And I'm gonna start with that one first. And that brand is Ferris Wheel Press. Their ink colors look beautiful. And all their marketing is absolutely incredible. But that's where it ends. I think the brand is about the marketing. They spend way too much money on packaging and don't invest in the actual product they are selling. Um, a lot of their inks are undersaturated. You can't use them for writing. There are some that are fine, yes, but generally speaking, a lot of their inks are just undersaturated and the performance is mediocre. There's bleed and there's feather and stuff like that. I just can't get behind the ink brand. I think that the design of their bottles is beautiful, but I think you're paying for the bottle. I don't think you're paying for the ink. If you look at the value of what you're getting, it is not matched to the price. They are overpriced, overmarketed, and they don't understand that there are people out here who can see right through it. If we're looking at their fountain pens, that carousel pen, when I reviewed it, I haven't tried the newer versions, but when I reviewed it back when it first came out, it was horrible. It wrote badly, it was cheap, flimsy, flimsy plastic, it was fragile, it had this horrible feature where you could spin the cap, if you, but if you clicked it halfway down, it would stay still. It just felt badly made, it looked boring, uh, it had a sort of like a faceted section that didn't sit right in the hand. I just never understood that pen. I wanted to love it, like, but then it was also at a price point that was so exorbitant to the quality I just couldn't, you know, it, it felt like a pen that if it was made by Jinhao, it would cost about $4. And you were painting more than Alami Safari for it. And Alami Safari is made of ABS plastic. It's got years of design history in it. It's got replaceable nibs. It's got decent nibs from a brand that like has huge history of producing high quality products. So I think Ferris Wheel Press get their products made very, very cheaply and then market them as luxury. And that's not good enough. If you want to pay that, you can absolutely pay that. And a lot of people love Ferris Wheel Press. A lot of people love their inks and their pens and that is absolutely great. Good for you. I'm really happy for you. Genuinely happy. If you find stuff that you love, that is so great. That is what this hobby is about. But for me... When I look at the value point versus the quality versus the enjoyment of actually using, Ferris Wheel Press doesn't add up. It just simply does not add up. And so that is a brand I can't get behind. I've reviewed a number of the inks. I've shown a number of the products. I've reviewed two of the pens. And one of them wrote well but was just way overpriced and one of them was terrible and was way overpriced. That brush fountain pen they had wrote well. But... Not at that price point. Once again, it's that thing of getting pens made and inks made in Asia. And I'm not saying that Asian, no, particularly Chinese, pens and inks aren't good quality. There are some pens, as I said to you, from Wingsung and Jinhao and Asvine that are absolutely great. They stand up along pens 10, 15, 20 times their price. But at the price point they are, how can you justify paying 10 times as much as a Jinhao 82 for the carousel when it doesn't write well. That's where my head goes, and that's why I really struggle with the Ferris Wheel Press brand. It just doesn't match up for me. Okay, enough about them. Let's now talk about Noodlers. Noodlers was the brand that more people mentioned than any other, and I feel the exact same way. When I first got into the hobby, 
I was drawn to a lot of Noodler's inks because as a left-handed writer, I was told that their fast-drying inks are great. I was enjoying a number of the colours that they produced. But the further I delved into the hobby and tried other brands and tried different inks from them and all the different qualities, the more I realised it just wasn't the brand for me on a basic level in terms of performance and quality. Black Swan and Australian Roses was an ink I loved early on. Lexington Grey, loved that. Ellis Island Blue Black was a beautiful coloured ink. The one that really struck me early on was 54th Massachusetts. Now, that ink is beautiful. It's a light blue, black, gray. It's got, you know, permanence, all that kind of stuff. And I bought a sample of it, and it was absolutely fine. And I had it in a couple of pens, and it wrote really, really well. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is an ink for me. So I bought a bottle. The first fill I did of it into a fine nib bled through everything. It feathered like crazy. And I'm talking on, like, Clairefontaine paper, 90 GSM, Coated Clairefontaine paper, bleed like crazy, feather like crazy. My fine nib I had it in turned into like an, a double broad and it just spread and bled. And I was really confused. And then I realized this is what people talk about. Noodles inks are made batch to batch with inconsistency. They're not made to exacting scientific parameters. If you get inks from Diamine, even smaller brands like Robert Oster, these inks are made to exacting conditions every time so there is consistency bottle to bottle, batch to batch. You don't get that with noodlers. So that 54th ink, I won't use again. I just won't. Like I couldn't, I had no use for it. Nothing I had contained that ink. Tomo River, it bled. Rodia, Clairefontaine, Midori, Graffalo, it just bled. And in a lot of ways, it performed a lot worse than the scariest ink of all, Bay State Blue. Bay State Blue is an ink I always have inked up in a Jinhao 992, I think it is, fountain pen. Because when I do paper reviews, I write with that ink. Um, I've never had a bottle of it. I've just gone through a couple of samples over the years. But it's always inked up for these paper reviews. I like to just write a couple of words and see how that ink, which is quite aggressive, performs on paper. And there are other exceptions to the Noodler's rule for me. Like I do use Blue Ghost, which is their UV reactive ink. I use that for artwork because it's the only fountain pen ink that I have found. And please correct me if I'm, if I'm missing something that has that UV reactive property. Um, I also hate that I love it, but I love Navy and I love Zhivago. I think they're beautiful ink colors. Um, but I won't be buying them again. I won't be supporting the brand. And apart from the performance and the odd properties of the ink and the inconsistency uh, and all of that, we have to address Nathan Tardif. This man does not do his business any favours. Yes, he came out and he renamed a bunch of his inks to remove um, inappropriate or culturally inappropriate words and names from his ink. Okay, that was a good move. He had to do that. I think enough brands, enough distributors and retailers sort of basically said, if you don't, wear out. Um, but it doesn't stop the man himself being problematic, politically so. And I know that there are people who agree with a lot of the things he says. Personally, I don't and I can't. So for me, there's this sort of 
Do I support the brand if they're a good products or do I ignore the brand because of the man? With Nathan Tardif at Noodlers, how much of our disdain for the brand is based on his political views? For me, it does weigh into it. Um, but first and foremost, the reason why I don't use the brand is because I just don't appreciate the performance, the quality, uh, and you know some of those those issues with the products that things like the inconsistency that just you don't know what you're going to get. And if I'm buying a bottle of ink, if it's going to cost me between thirty and fifty dollars to get a bottle of Noodles Ink in Australia. Why would I do that when I don't know what I'm going to get? The color might be different. The performance will be different. It might bleed or feather. It might be super dry. You just don't know. I'd rather buy inks from Diamine and Robert Oster and Waterman and Mont Blanc and, you know, Pilot and all these kinds of brands I know I love and get stuff that I know what I'm going to get. Every time I get a bottle of Diamine ink, it works. So I'll use an example of this. So I talked about the sample of 54th versus the bottle. When I first got it in fountain pens, I got a, a sample vial of Diamine uh, Syrah. Syrah is beautiful ink. Love it. Got myself a 30ml bottle. It wrote exactly the same. I ran through that 30ml bottle and got myself the 80ml bottle. Wrote exactly the same. I then got another 30ml bottle to take on the road with me. Wrote exactly the same. I then got cartridges because sometimes when I'm traveling, I like to use cartridges because they're just a little bit more convenient. Wrote exactly the same. This is across a period of eight years from a range of different retailers. It writes the same. If noodlers can't do that, I'm not going to support the brand. And then the other issue with noodlers I have is the pens. I know a lot of people love those pens. There's the Charlie, the Ahab, the uh, tri Triple Tail, all that. And people love them because they've got those flex nibs. The problem is, is that flex nibs have developed and other brands have caught up and surpassed Noodlers. At one point, Noodlers was like the entry level into decent modern flex nibs. And they were inconsistent. You had to set the feed. You had to, you know, fiddle with them. You had to tinker. What if we just wanted to write with them? You can get a fountain pen from something like Fountain Pen Revolution, and the pen is made in India, just like the Noodler's pens are. And for half the price of some of the Noodler's pens, you can get a pen with a flex nib on it from Fountain Pen Revolution that writes consistently, that you don't have to see a heat set the, near, the feed. You can just write with it. And the same goes for CanWrite. And even the Yovo OmniFlex nib on a range of like the Conklin pens and things like that write better than the Noodler's flex nibs. So why is there a need to go back to them now? So these are just things about the brand that I have noticed that I don't enjoy. And this is why I can't support that brand. So yes, there is a couple of inks I use, the Blue Ghost, and you know, occasionally I'll use Zhivago or um, Navy. I've stopped using Heart of Darkness. I've stopped using X Feather. Lexington Grey's gone. Black Swan Australian Rose is gone. I've given away or tipped down the sink a lot of ink from Noodlers over the years. Like, I couldn't give that bottle of 54th to anyone. I just wouldn't do it. It went down the sink. If you can't make your brand consistent and high quality, I'm not going to support it. If your price point is off, I can't justify supporting it. I would much rather spend my money on Diamine, Waterman, Lamy, Pilot, Diplomat, Platinum, a range of brands, 
for pens and inks, and not to mention all those beautiful custom pen makers, you know, out there that are doing such beautiful work and who are involved in charitable stuff and who are just generally really good people. That's where I would rather spend my money and my time and my effort. So that is a little rundown on some brands. It's a rant more than a rundown, let's be honest, about some brands I won't support that I just can't get behind. So we're now at the point where I'm wrapping up this final episode of season nine. And every time I've interviewed someone, I've asked them the question, what are your three favorite stationary items? Uh, And that was my question for season one. Season two will have a different question, but I thought I'd ask myself that question, but I thought I'd limit myself to not talking about fountain pens or ink. Because if I talk about my three favorite fountain pens again, well, I've done that so many times on my YouTube and things like that, that uh, I don't really need to go into that. But I thought if I talk about three items I love that aren't fountain pens or ink, and I'm going to start with my planner. I use the Hobonichi A5 Cousin. It is sublime. It's got every layout you can need, a yearly, monthly, weekly, and daily layout for every day of the year. It's decent paper. It's not like it used to be, but it's decent. It's a good size, and I carry it in my A5 zippered folio from Galen Leather in the Crazy Horse Brown Leather, which I adore. And so having that as my daily sort of planner feels right it feels sturdy and stable and it's a as someone part of my neurodivergency really does require me to have a system and a routine and part of that is my you know I get up every morning I make my coffee I sit down and I write out my planner for the day that really grounds me uh, and so having a nice planner like that pays massive dividends there's a number of beautiful planners I've used over the years the endless planner last year was amazing um And so next year it might be a different planner, but this year it is the A5 Cousin from Hobonichi and I love it. My second favorite stationary item at the moment is a pocket notebook. Now at the moment I'm using the My Paperclip Australia A6 pocket notebook. It's the Executive Series 1 and it's excellent. It's got nice paper, simple notebook, just a line ruled notebook, black sort of of semi-soft cover, uh, elastic, which I also use as the pen loop, and I carry it with my uh, Kaveco Sport, the Milligram collaborated version from a few years ago, uh, in the sage green, which is very very nice with an extra fine nib. I find having a pocket notebook so useful because there are times when I can't take my Hobonichi with me, so I can jot down what I need to do in the day. I can take notes through the day. It comes becomes kind of like a bit of a commonplace book where I jot down ideas. If I'm listening to an audio book or I'm reading something, I jot down ideas in it. And then at the end of the day or at the end of the week or whenever I decide to, I can transfer those notes into the things they need to go into. So either into the Hobonichi or into my journal or into my specific notebooks for specific projects. Uh, but it's just a great place to be able to jot down ideas through the day when I'm out and about, when I'm at work, and then have it all in one place. And so I'm churning through these pocket notebooks relatively quickly, quicker than I'd like. But um, at the moment, yeah, it's the My Paperclip Australia one, and I probably will keep using that. I'm using a lot of their notebooks at the moment because I just really enjoy them. Um, I've got my executive series sitting here on my lap with my uh, program notes for this episode. Uh, So lots that I really enjoy there. Uh, So yeah, pocket notebook from My Paperclip Australia is my second item. And my third item is a ballpoint pen. 
It is the Marx Innovative Gear, or MIG, bolt-action ballpoint pen in copper. I spoke about it a little bit earlier. This is a pen I really like. It's got a Schmidt refill in it, which writes beautifully, but just the form and function of that pen is so great. And it's such a great carry pen because it's got a bit of weight to it. Um, and it's consistent, and I love fiddling and, uh, you know, sort of playing with the, the bolt action. I'm a fidgeter, so that works well. Um, yeah, it's just a it's a really, really great pen and a great carry pen, and I'm loving how the patina is coming up on it. I, um, I'm actually touring for a while in the middle of the year, and uh, when I tour, I normally like to take only a couple of pens with me, and both the Marks Innovative Gear fountain pen and bolt action ballpoint pen both in the copper, will be coming with me uh, on tour as my main pens, just because they're consistent and they're durable and they're robust and they're beautiful. So, yeah, those are my three favourite stationary items without talking about fountain pens or ink as it stands today. While I'm recording this, I just got interrupted by a mailman at the door uh, and there's a parcel here from Wancha. So that's exciting. I'm looking forward to unpacking that uh, once I finish recording this episode, I am loving looking at the Wancha pens that I've been looking at, uh, and I have a couple more to look at over the next couple of months. So keep an eye out on my YouTube for that, uh, and I'll probably talk about that in one of the first episodes back after the break. And speaking of the break, let's wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support over these first nine episodes, this first season of my podcast. Um, I've really enjoyed it. As I said, it's not been easy and I've learned a lot doing it, uh, but I'm looking forward to moving into season two and seeing how that goes. So a big, big thank you to all my supporters, the people I've interviewed, Helen McLean, Ben Walsh, Michael Liu and Chetan there from uh, My Paperclip Australia. Thank you to everyone who has uh, sent in questions or uh, ideas for things. I've really, really enjoyed the community aspect of all of this. And also a big, big thank you to all the brands and manufacturers who have supported the podcast, but also my YouTube channel. Um, so I'm going to forget a whole lot of people here, but Just Turnings, Pen by Casey, That Pen Bloke, uh, we've got Wancha, we've got Gravitas Pens, we've got Pole Prediction here in Australia, we've got Platypus Pens, Alpaca Gear, Mark's Innovative Gear, Robert Oster, Van Diemen's Inc., My Paper Clip Australia, Made by Endless, and of course, Cypress, amazing pen from Cypress that I looked at earlier in the year. The list goes on and on, and I'm so sorry if I forgot you. Yes, a big thank you to all my supporters. Uh, you are amazing, you are wonderful, and I'm really looking forward to seeing you in season two. In the meantime, enjoy your pens, enjoy writing, and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>